Welcome to episode nine of From Paper to People, that sassy podcast you love to love from Ancestors Alive Genealogy. I am your hostess with the mostess, Carolyn Nee Lachlan. Sorry I'm a bit late this week. I could pretend that I'm cool and tell you about how I was preparing to go to Roots Tech or something, but in fact, I am not at Roots Tech. I'm home, exfoliating. I had to take my cat to the vet, so life got a little delayed. Such is the life of a self-employed genealogist and podcaster. Fortunately, the cat is fine, mean as a snake, and twice as cute. So I'm back to boss you around about genealogy some more. But first, a little humble bragging. We just blew past the 425 download mark, and episode four, The Glory of the Story, is your download favorite with almost 70 downloads. Yowza! Half of you are picking me up via iOS, one quarter by Android, and all of the rest of y'all are using various other means and platforms to listen in. I'm happy to have all of you here. 32 U.S. states are now listening, and the international count is holding at 11 nations with their ears and hearts open to my unique brand of snarky truth. Thank you all for joining in the fun. I got a great note in the mailbag this week, and I wanted to say a special yo to Matt Arthur. He works at a place called Tryon Palace in the North Carolina History Center in New Bern on the central coast of North Carolina. I looked it up online, and it looks like one of the cooler places on earth. It was the governor's palace in colonial North Carolina from 1770 to 1775. The center has restored buildings, giant ornate gardens, a variety of museums and classrooms, interactive technology, and Matt's purview, living history. I told him that in college, I was a wassail wench at a Christmas theater function. I can only hope that I impressed him. Being an OCD researcher, I also Facebook stalked the place just a little bit, and I got to see brief outlines of all the employees. What a cool group of people. So I wanted to take this opportunity to shout out a big hello and thank you to Matt for his support and for making me aware of Tryon Palace and the North Carolina History Center. It sounds like an amazing place to work and the number one reason I need to take me a road trip down to the land of my Pike, McGregory, Blocker, Wisner, Overman, Bellman, Collins, Hendry, Hedgepeth, Moreland, and Davis Ancestors. Join Matt and add heft to my mailbag. When I get enough intriguing questions, I'll do a mailbag episode. Here's a question for you. What would you like to know about genealogy, big or small, that you've always been afraid to ask? You can call and leave a voicemail, message me on Facebook, DM me on Twitter, or even Instagram, or use the contact form on my website, or you can even just email me straight up. I'll give all those contacts at the end of the show, and I really would love to hear from you. This week, I have to confess to some confusion. The more I sit here yapping into a mic, the more I find I actually have to say. So I've been spinning out for days about what to discuss next. That confusion actually inspired this episode. The little voice inside my head said, get back to base. So this week, I'm talking about the advantage of simplicity. This episode is Keep It Simple, Researcher, One Life, One Tree. It is really, really a bad idea to make separate tree files for each of your parents. 
I feel very strongly about this too. Surprise. So yeah, I may get eh, a little bit harsh. Lately, I've been reading or encountering in person a bunch of questions about how to structure trees in Ancestry, where we do all of our research because we don't want to screw up family search, right? Right. One version of the question involves simple trees where the home person or the person from whom the trees go backward uh, knows both of his or her parents. Another involves more complex trees where the home person has at least one unknown biological parent and also has one or two step foster or adoptive parents. The questions boil down to this. Do I make a separate tree for each family or just one tree for both or all sides? The answer is always the same for any variant of this question, though the reasoning is slightly different. Always make one tree. I'll explain why. First, for the sake of argument, I'm assuming that you are working on your own tree and that you are the home person in your tree. When you know both of your parents and there are no adoptions or fosters or steps to consider, keep it simple, researcher, make one tree. If you make two separate trees, one for your dad and one for your mom, you may miss out on some fun information, including ways in which your families were enmeshed generations back. My parents share ancestry. It's way back in the tree. In fact, my dad's 10th great-grandparents are my mother's 9th great-grandparents, which makes them innocuously and remotely related. I mean, plenty of people are related at that level all over the world, and their kids don't have three eyes and seven toes on each foot. We each have 2,048 ninth great-grandparents and 4,096 tenth great-grandparents, so they only share a tiny sliver of DNA. But since the initial narrative about my dad's family was, we're Irish from the old country in the 19th century, it's fun to research the family and find that, in fact, he had New England colonial lineage that matched up to my mom's. Her lineage was always known to be a combination of Palatine German, New Amsterdam Dutch, Scots-Irish, ridiculously early British settlement. By letting the two sides coexist in one tree, I was able to find that my preconceived notions were nothing like the complexity of the truth, and that discovery was fun. Here's another point. My dad has a female first cousin. Let's call her Kitty. Her real name's not Kitty, but to protect the innocent, let's say that it is. Uh, his father and Kitty's mother were siblings, okay? That's how they're first cousins. I was surprised to find, however, that Kitty is also my mom's fourth cousin. And Kitty's kids are both my first cousins once removed and my fourth cousins once removed. Kitty shares paternal blood with my mom and maternal blood with my dad. So my father isn't involved in this particular genealogical nexus. But that makes it even more random and strange. It was very interesting and odd to me to find that both my mother and Kitty are descended of a German family called Garst that has early settlement roots in Pennsylvania. And once again, it goes to show you two important things. One, it's always good to work on ancillary lines in a process called shrubbing that I will discuss in depth in another podcast. And two, 
there are just a few large pools of people on this continent who are all interrelated and the whole six degrees of separation thing absolutely is true. Another interesting part for me was what I like to call the Peoria connection. My dad lived the latter part of his childhood and all of his adolescence in Peoria, Illinois. So though he lived in a variety of places, there was a respect in which it was his hometown. When I started to dig into my mom's mom's side, I found that the Hinsey and Corning families had also lived in Peoria, but they had lived there before and during the Civil War. My father has almost no interest in genealogy. He doesn't care about anything that extends past the people or the places that he either knows now or knew before. But that piqued his interest for a moment. I found that in general, all sorts of families from both sides went west at the same time using the same pathways from Ohio to Indiana to Illinois, and that they were neighbors who probably knew one another and did business or even went to church together. Now, I'm not a starry-eyed optimist, but I do believe that we are living in an incredibly divided period in history, and I find great value in looking backward and seeing that my ancestors knew one another and had to work together to survive. While I could have seen that by taking notes and going back and forth between two tree files, it was easier to look at one pedigree or family group and make the connections from memory because it was all in front of me at the same time. Also, when I'm working on my tree in Ancestry and come across a name or couple with dates and places that sound familiar, all I have to do is go out to the picture version of the tree, you know, the pedigree or the family group and go to find person and look at list of all people to see if that person or those people already exist in the tree. If they do, I can simply connect to the existing people in the tree rather than creating a second version of each of these two people. It makes all of the relationships correct. I don't have to duplicate individuals and I think you know how I feel about duplicates. So I think you can see why it is that that would be important to me. But the most compelling reason I can give you for running both sides of your family in one tree occurred in my client Dee's tree. Her name's not really Dee, but to protect the innocent, let's just say that it is. Dee had some family stories going into the process of building her tree, but not a lot of deep knowledge of her ancestors' activities. One story she had was something that her father used to say. He'd rank on her mother a lot, saying that her mother's people were really country, implying, I guess, that his people came from a town or city and that somehow this made him superior. It sounds like some bunk to me, but whatever. I started to work, pushed back and sideways on her tree, and generations of Texans turned into a generation of enslaved Mississippians, one set on each side of her tree. She didn't know that her father's family came from Mississippi at all, but they did. I found that her maternal second great-grandfather and her paternal great-grandfather were both freed by Union soldiers after the siege of Vicksburg, so they were both enslaved in the same place at the same time. So much for his people being somehow different or better than hers. But here's where it gets really good. These two men served together after their emancipation as volunteers in the 53rd U.S. Colored Infantry, one in Company G and one in Company C. 
She had no idea that anyone in her family had served for the North. She didn't even know what generations or individuals had been enslaved. And as it turned out, two men who served together, albeit in different units, would one day be joined by the 20th century marriage of their descendants. And it would have been harder to juxtapose these two men and their military service if I had been working two separate trees and had discovered the two separate service records completely independently of one another. Now, this is where people start to get curious, or if it's in an online discussion, maybe a little bit snippy about the question of multiple trees. What if you have two biological parents and a step-parent? Do you run a separate tree for the step-parent? Of course not. Let's say the parents in question are your bio dad and your stepdad and your mom. Even if your bio dad is not an active part of your life, or if you're searching for your bio dad's family and you're not actively researching your stepdad, simply include both as partners or husbands of your mom and choose which one you'd prefer to show as your ancestor on your tree. You can switch that preference whenever you like. You can research whomever you like, regardless of their relationship to you. When you research this way, especially if you are seeking a dad you don't know much about, you can examine the friends and family of your stepdad and his family through census records and all the other records that are available to honor him. But also, you can research your bloodline to find out more about your genealogical roots. And you might end up finding that the various branches of your family, biological and by marriage, are tied in multiple ways further back. And the perfect example of that is my mom, my dad, and my cousin Kitty. Kitty and my mom never expected to be related, but because I did all of that work on both of them as individuals, I ended up finding their tie. And remember, even if you have only two parents, I guarantee you that you have all sorts of step-great-grandparents. Men died young in farming accidents and their wives remarried, or women died in childbirth and their husbands remarried. Older folks got lonely and they remarried. People tend to remarry. Well, except for me. When we discuss the technique of shrubbing, which we will talk about at another time, I'll explain it in greater depth, right? But for the moment, just trust me. Take it as gospel when I tell you that adding every spouse and child for every person in your line is the correct way to handle your research. If it's right for great-great-grandfather George and his parents, why wouldn't it be right for you and your folks? Now, this is the thorniest of all of the presentations of the question, and this is where people get really snippy online. If you have adoptive or foster parents and bio parents, and you are seeking those bio parents using records and DNA, do you make one tree or two? The answer is still the same. One tree. Remember that this is your tree. And for different reasons, these people are all your family. Therefore, they all belong in your tree. Simply go into edit, then edit relationships, then add both sets of parents and indicate which mother and father you want to be your preferred parents. If you're researching your bio parents, make them the preferred. 
you can still research your adoptive or foster lines. You can even switch back and forth between the two. But when you get your DNA tested and you attach the results to yourself, and if you're lucky, you get other relatives' DNA tested and you attach those results to your tree, the overall family tree will reflect your findings thus far and enable you to work with DNA cousins to find your parents and their biological and genealogical ancestors and ancillaries. If you're concerned about family members being offended by your findings, don't invite them to view your work. I know that sounds cold, but it's your work by you and for you. Genealogy is full of secrets and families are full of secret keepers and people waiting to be offended. I have a cousin who sends out a monthly newsletter of his findings, and in this way, he reaches everyone with all the latest research news without them having to get onto MyHeritage and view the ABCs of his work. They can read the letter carefully, skim it, or delete it altogether from their email. It's all there for them to do with as they wish. I think that's a great solution to inviting folks into the work without upsetting potentially unsteady apple carts. These personal and family problems and issues are hard to navigate. I am not minimizing that. And ultimately, no one can tell you how to navigate them. But you have to keep your eye on the ball. You're using the historical record and science to find the truth. You can't let other people's nonsense get in your way. And you can't, must not, let anything keep you from using best practice and best methods to find your family roots. So I'm just going to say it. Splitting trees is an inferior practice. And here is the ultimate reason why. What if your adoptive or foster parents actually knew or know your biological parents? What if you were told a story about being left at a church doorstep or a firehouse as an infant, but in fact, you were fostered or adopted by friends of your bio parents, also known as fictive family? What if your bio parents aren't strangers at all? When you look at a census record, even a, a city directory or white pages, you can see who lived near one another at any given moment in time. And as you go further back and sideways, treeing versus shrubbing, a concept we will discuss in another episode, you can get a sense of which families lived near one another over generations, what family groups consistently and repeatedly intermarried, who migrated together from one part of the country to another. This can help you establish the surnames of fictive family, and those fictive groups might end up helping you find or might end up being your blood family. So what have we learned today? Make only one tree on ancestry, regardless of your circumstances. Always account for all spouses and relationships that produce children at the very least, which I call shrubbing. If people viewing your tree are liable to freak out at the truth, don't invite them to view your research. Just summarize it for them periodically in a newsletter. And most important of all, for those seeking unknown biological ancestors, keep in mind that your adoptive or foster family might well know more than they are telling you about your biological family. Tracking everyone in your adoptive, foster, and fictive families might well lead you to the truth. Thank you so much for listening. If you podcast and you want original theme music like mine, 
email my good friend Kurt Brady at curtisbrady at yahoo.com. Tell him I sent you. He can hook you up with rock, blues, country, folk, pretty much anything you can think of. If you have a concept or a music sample, send it to him. He writes, he plays, and he records. Would you like to ask an on-air question? I'm in the U.S., so if you're calling from outside of the country, use the country code 010, then dial 631-201-0589 and leave a message with your name, location, and question. If you're calling from inside the United States, then just dial 631-201-0589. Leave that message, name, location, question. I'll play it and answer it on air. Otherwise, you know where you can find me. I'm always here, except when I'm going to the vet with the cat, of course. I'm online at AncestorsAliveGenealogy.com and on Facebook at Ancestors Alive Genealogy. Follow me on Twitter at Ancestors Alive and on Instagram at Ancestors Alive Genealogy. If you have a request, a dispute, a book recommendation, or a question for the mailbag, and you know I love those, you can contact me at ancestorsalivegenealogy at gmail.com. And please, if you find value in this podcast, support me on Patreon and win or earn valuable prizes. Go to patreon.com slash ancestorsalive and sign up for any of five support levels, ranging from $5 to $25 per month. I need that financial support to keep this virtual classroom going. Have a great week. Do your research. Don't be a Jeffrey. Oh, and by the way, Check in on Roots Tech this week, and above all, of course, expect surprises.